Hey, hey, you people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Let me turn this light off, Danny. I mean, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know who I am? Can you tell what's going through my brain right now? So, so this is we we've been doing these cold opens, <laughs> and I love them. But in my brain, I'm thinking Danny finger off, Danny finger off, Danny finger off. So <laughs> I just turn the light off, Danny. I mean Johnny. <laughs> oh, I'm glad after so many years of knowing each other, you know who I am. I do, I do. I mean, you're that guy <sighs> that married my niece. <laughs> this is this this is accurate, 100 percent accurate. You're that dude. <laughs> I am that dude. But. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. <laughs> I'm Kenneth Creekin. <laughs> that right there is Mr. Orsley. I guarantee you his first name is Jay. We all call him, well, the family calls him Johnny. His friends yeah. call him John, but his name is only Jay. That's close to true. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. A little bit. A little bit. Even more fun today on the show, it's. Danny Finger off, and he wrote a book about Stan Lee, right? Yeah, man. He saw, he wrote a book. It's called The Marvelous Life: The Amazing Story of Stan Lee, and uh, he comes on, talks with Casey about that. They they chat for a while. Uh, they're on for over an hour. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good uh, hour and ten, hour and twenty tight interview. Um, I say tight there because they talk a lot, uh, and it's it's great, man. It's it's Casey's read this book, and and I have not had a chance to read it yet. I want to. Yeah, uh, it's on my list of things to order from Amazon. Um, I order, I order like a new book every couple of weeks just to read. Uh, it's on my list to order. Do you read and, them or do uh, you listen to them? Both, actually. Some of them, I, so if it's like I, I'll, if it's a storybook, um, usually if it's stories, I'll listen to them. If it's a book that's like like if it's a book that's like an autobiography, or if it's like a, a self help or how to book, then I'll buy the actual book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, self help yeah. book and 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 how to books. Like the the written language is better, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Biographies, I'm okay listening to audiobook. Fiction, I'm okay listening to audiobook. Um, yeah, self help books, I like to read because sometimes yeah, you want to yeah. take notes of what they're talking about. Exactly, and that's exactly why I like, I like to take notes in the margin of pencil. Highlights. Mm-hmm. Get my highlight, my old highlighter out. Like we're in college, you want to take him for a test. Yeah, but speaking of tests, why don't we sit yeah. back and listen to Danny? There'll be a test at the end, so pay attention. All right, everybody, welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have author of A Marvelous Life, and it is the story of the amazing story of Stan Lee. Let me start that over. That's, that was terrible. <laughs> 
All right, everybody, welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have author of A Marvelous Life, the amazing story of Stan Lee, Danny Fingeroth. And Danny, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm really excited to talk to you. Okay, so in the lead up to the show, I, I've read your wonderful book. It's amazing. I really, really, it's, it's in the title, Amazing Is. Yes. I really enjoyed it. And as an aside, I am in the process of uh, writing my first comic. And I was talking to my artist today who lives in England. And I told him what I was doing this afternoon. I said, I'm going to be talking to Danny Fingeroth. Do you know who that is? And he said, I've read his book. It's great. <laughs> so your your book is is well liked by all the people that I've talked to <laughs> talked with about it. So <laughs> well, that's good. And and there's an audio. I did the audio book reading myself too. So if you're an audio book person, you know, may, you might want to check it out. But anyway, go on. That's actually the version that that he had. He he oh. enjoyed it. So cool. so Danny, tell me how did you how did you get into comics in the first place? Like what drew you to comics rather? You know, something about comics from the, the time I was uh, very young. I mean, from the time I, I mean, I, you know, I was a kid, just attracted me in a way that I don't think every kid responds to. You know, everybody grows up with comics and sees comics. It just captivated me. My vaguest early memories are, you know, the Popeye cartoons were popular when I was a kid. I'm a boomer. Kid, you know, I'm a, I'm a 50s and 60s kid. So there were Popeye cartoons on TV, and I think my parents got me Popeye comics. <clears throat> and then from there, I had a cousin who gave me some superhero comics. But there was something about the medium that not everybody responds to, right? I think everybody knows people who are very intelligent and well-read and well-rounded, and, right? And 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 they'll say, I don't know how to read comics. I don't know if I look at the words first or the pictures first. It's very confusing. And, and to those of us who get it, it's kind of like, really? I don't, and you don't even think about what's first. You just sort of, there it is. It's all there. You take it in. But there was something that really grabbed me, and especially uh, superhero comics, the DC comics of, <clears throat> of the late 50s and early 60s. And then when the Marvel comics, you know, when Fantastic Four came along, those really spoke to me in, 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 in a very deep way that something about what Lee and Kirby and Lee and Ditko were doing just pulled me in and, 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 and really hypnotized me. Yeah, and this actually led you to eventually one day teach comics on a collegiate level, which is fascinating to me. Did, did you really... Have have you gotten a lot out of that? Just being able to kind of share that love and share that knowledge. Well, actually, let me let me let me start with the plugs before because I know it's, you know I don't want to get to the end of the show and forget. I'm actually teaching a course in comic book editing, comic book and graphic novel editing, a two week a two weekend workshop at the Comicsplex website. That's c o m i x p l e x dot com website. So I you know in that I will be teaching comics editing as well as just telling stories of my career and life in comics. Teaching comics on a college level and on an adult ed level was, was really interesting, you know, because sort of especially if it's adult ed, you don't know who's going to show up. But, uh, you, know, it's, you know, kind of here's this thing that I've been involved with in one way, shape, or form since I was like five years old. And, uh, and I have all this weird esoteric knowledge 
like I've learned all this stuff, you know, <clears throat> through doing it, through screwing it up, through, you know, dealing with all kinds of people and all sorts of crisis situations and having to, you know, uh, put together teams of people and, and, you know, make characters like Spider-Man consistent and familiar yet new and all this. And, and, and so I've amassed this, you know, as, you know, as, as most of us who work in, in comics for any length of time, this really kind of narrow, specialized kind of information and skill set, which can be applied on a wider basis too. So, so just to have to actually articulate that to in front of people and try to express it in words and pictures and and try to pass it along. Yeah, I, I found I found I find teaching. I haven't done it so much uh, lately, but there was about ten years when I was doing it pretty solidly. And it, you know, when you teach, when you have to prepare to teach, and then you do it, you know, I think it made me much more comfortable in front of, of, of audiences, you know, which led to then like a four-year period where I was traveling with the Wizard World convention chain doing like hundreds of panels a year. But, but having to think about stuff, having to think about something that you think you know really is, is educational for the person doing the teaching as much or if not more so than for the people who are, who are the students. That, that's awesome. And, and it's, it's really cool just being able to, to just kind of showcase your knowledge and, and get that stuff out there. I'm, I'm, I'm loving, I actually pulled up the, the ComicsPlex site that, that talks about your, your editing talk that you're going to do. Well, it's not and, a talk. It's, 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 of it's course, a, I'm sorry. It's an interactive, it's a two-weekend interactive workshop, you know, so it's limited seating. And so it's not just me blabbing away, you know, it's not, it's not just like a video, it's an actual live class where there'll be questions and exercises and so on. That's awesome. And, and I'll, I'll put that in the, the show notes. Oh, thanks. So, so people can click on the uh, show notes for this and get at it. So yeah, that, that, that's really awesome. So you, you got into comics at an early age, right? Kind of pretty much right after college. Pretty much. Was there, was there anyone that just kind of took you under their wing? Huh, that's a very good question. You know, my first boss was Larry Lieber, Stanley's brother. So Stanley's brother, yeah. And he had uh, just recently come back to Marvel. He had left to to uh, work as the um, editor in chief at that Atlas company. That was a short lived seventies. Yeah. That, but there's a whole saga behind that. But he he was he was running the uh, what was called the British department at Marvel, which was putting out comics. Mostly reprints, some new material. We were repackaging it for publication in England in black and white anthology comics, which was which was a popular format in England. So I, I learned a lot from Larry. You know, I learned. I then went on to become Louise uh, Jones. Now people may know her as Louise Simonson. I became her assistant. Cool. She is uh, amazing. And I learned a lot from her. And I certainly learned quite a bit from Jim Shooter, who who sort of saw part of his job as editor-in-chief, you know, as being a teacher also and, and passing on the knowledge and skills that he had. So I, I think, which I, and I think I benefited because, you know, I mean, while we all worked putting out Marvel superhero comics, you certainly can't ask for three more different people than Jim Shooter, Louis Simonson, and Larry Lieber. You know, their, yeah. <laughs> their, their personalities, their approaches, their experiences is... is is is, 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 are so 
widely different that that I really had the benefit of 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 learning and working with just people who were the best at what they did but in very different ways yeah yeah and so w- when you came in you shooter was was already there right was was he he came, been there for a little while Shooter was working as Archie Goodwin's executive editor. And then after about six, you know, I, I came in about six months before Shooter became editor-in-chief. Okay, cool, cool. So when you were, when you were there, what, what, what were your first tasks? Like, what were you in charge of? Well, I mean, it was, it was the assistant to the editor of, of the uh, British department. Interestingly, my counterpart, because we also had an office in England, and the guy who was the assistant editor there was a guy named Neil Tennant, who you may know is one of the members of the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I knew that name sounded familiar, but it, it was not from comics, yeah. But before he was a Pet Shop Boy, he was the assistant editor at the, in the British office of Marvel Comics. That is- so my first job was, it was actually because... I had sort of, uh, I was not active in fandom. You know, I was not a capital F fan. I had kind of, you know, after kind of uh, the early 70s, I kind of got into underground comics and independent comics and, you know, not so much the superhero stuff. I heard so, you were a Pekar fan. I'm a huge Harvey Pekar fan. And, and, uh, and, I, and I had the privilege of, of being somewhat friendly with Harvey. And I, I did a, an event with him in New York that was really like a, it was it was a Harvey Picard night in all senses of the word. Uh, that was about about a year before he passed away. Oh wow, that's that's so amazing! You were able to to get to know him. Well, I mean, I I mean, one thing I've you know, I mean, look, it's been many years since I worked at Marvel, and I, and obviously I'm best known for what I did there, and I was there for almost twenty years. But I've really both through my interest and just through necessity tried to make myself conversant and maybe even expert in a wide range of comics and 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 because it's a big world of comics out there you know from you know from rain you know i mean look raina telgemeier is the most popular graphic novelist in the country if not the world and she's not a superhero writer or artist you know she yeah. does those ya things for 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 um, for scholastic that are insanely popular dav pilkey is another one you know there's just you know, you sort of just just to keep up, and I do en- enjoy this stuff. And you know, I I, I don't know if I, you know there's there's too much comics and too many comics for any person to know all of them. But you know, it's a, it's an incredible medium, incredible world. So how we got to <laughs> oh, so my first job, so my so because I had not really been paying super close attention to the, what was going on in Marvel, when I came to the British department, since most of what we were putting out was reprints, you were like, I would take an issue of whatever, Spider-Man, and split it up into three or four chapters, and we'd commission new splash pages, because I said that was the competition in England, anthology titles like that. So I, so I ended up sort of catching up on a lot of stories and continuity that I'd missed over the past six or seven years. And that, so that was very, it's kind of, a, excuse me, educational, you know, plus learning from Larry and, and from, you know, Sal Brodsky was, was, was overseeing the department and Sal was one of the original Marvel bullpen in the sixties. And, uh, you know, so, so as you were, you, as you alluded to, I think maybe before we went on uh, the air or whatever you call it with a podcast, you know, before, <laughs> we, before we officially started recording, you know, what it was, what, it, you know, I, I did end up 
you know, working with a lot of people who I knew as names from my childhood. And, you know, what I, what I you know, sort of a thing that I came to realize, kind of the day you know you're a professional, you know, I guess in comics or probably in any field you go into, is when you're, when you're on the phone with, like, your childhood idol and, and you're saying, hello, childhood idol, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I have to pinch myself to see I'm not dreaming. I've loved your work since I was a kid, and it's such an honor to talk to you. Now, where are the goddamn pages? Right? <laughs> that's, uh, you know, right, that's the moment you know you're a professional. When, when, you're, ba- when you're badgering your childhood <laughs> idol for work that they owe you, you know. Yeah, that, that sounds terrifying, actually. <laughs> you know, it is. <laughs> so do you think that because you worked in a department that was kind of adjacent to, like, the, the main output of Marvel, do you think that kind of gave you an opportunity to kind of learn the, learn the trade while you're doing it and, and kind of take in a little bit more because it wasn't, uh, you weren't really under a microscope, I, I wouldn't think. In, in a way, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, yes, the short answer is yes. I, I would say, though, that, you know, in comics, it's one of those professions because, you know, obvious, to state the obvious, which I often do, you know, I mean, you know, we publish comic books. So, so, so your, your earliest rookie mistakes are in print forever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, some something you may have done that's embarrassing or just bad or or confusing. You know, so so I guess in that sense, I did have a little bit of a, a buffer. The downside was kind of the British department was not really highly respected. I mean, I think most people in the company didn't think about it, but it, you know, sort of, you know, we took some ribbing, and uh, but it was it was a place where a lot of people you know, got their training because since we did have need for, you know, new splash pages, new covers, it was, it was a place for people breaking in to, you know, to do a one page thing or, 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 or something, you know? So I think John Romita Jr. Oh, wow. Uh, did a lot of work for the British department. Not about a lot, but certainly a good deal. You know, of course the names of other people are, are slipping my mind, but you know, Steve Stiles and Jeff Acklin, and there, there were Gene Colan did some work. I mean, obviously, Gene was not a beginner by any means. Gene was Gene. Oh, Cohen. yeah, he's a legend by then. Yeah, him and, and Larry himself, Herb Trimpey, Chris Claremont, you know, a guy named Jim Lawrence, who was better known for his work in, in comic strips, Gary Friedrich, you know, a lot of people. Mike Esposito would come in oh, cool. and, and he would touch up. The, the 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 photostats and zipatone that, that we had pasted onto boards, you know, or the production department had pasted onto boards for the British books. So it, it was, uh, you're right. It, it was a, it was it was a good sort of way to kind of keep a low profile, but learn stuff. It was, but it was it was funny because after about a year, a guy named Des Skin, who was a British publisher probably best known for Warrior magazine. And he was also at that point, the publisher of the British Mad magazine. He made the crazy proposal to Marvel that maybe the British comics should not be done by a bunch of guys from the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens, but you know, <laughs> should be done by actual British people. You know, what a concept. And, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying, you know, also, cause I don't know all the, 
back all the backstage machinations, but it basically Dez made that pitch, and Marvel said, well, that's a good idea. So Larry, at that point, went on. He was drawing, at that point, the Hulk newspaper strip. So that's where he went. And eventually, of course, he went on to draw the Spider-Man newspaper strip for decades. And I ended up sort of having this kind of what I call it the Danny Finger Roth memorial job. You know, they liked me and they wanted to keep me around. So they made me a shared assistant between Jim Shooter and Sal Brodsky. Oh, wow. So I was in charge of special projects. Jim was, of course, in charge of, you know, all of the the mainstream Marvel. So I got to do a lot of kind of oddball, you know, Marvel maze and puzzle books and, you know, the paperback reprints. And, And I was still the British liaison. So I was in charge of getting the reprint materials to England. And also, Star Wars had just come out. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And the Marvel Star Wars comic, which many people think saved Marvel in the 70s, you know, and it's probably to a large degree true. You know, they were using up the Star Wars comics at twice the rate in the UK as we were in, in America. Oh, wow. So we, so that, so I was the assistant editor to Archie Goodwin on that because we had to really uh, produce it at a very uh, fast pace and get it and get it to England. So I had the, all this these strange, and then I ended up being the editor of, of this line of reprint titles that Marvel had to put out. I think really because they had commitments to advertisers for that their that their ads would be in a certain number of comics, and and they weren't we weren't putting out so many then. So suddenly. I was editing like half a dozen reprint titles. So I did that for about a year. And then when Louise was hired, when she came over from Warren Publishing, they assigned me to her as her assistant. And luckily we got along very well. But I mean, so there was, you know, there, you know, so, but, but as I said, so comics, there's, you know, it, it's, 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 it's the eternal, you know, do you want it good or do you want it Tuesday? You know, and the answer is <laughs> yeah. both. And 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 so you you, know, you learn on your feet, you learn on the job, whatever expression you want to use. But that was, it, it was it was, and but it in a, in a way it was, it was sort of a graduate school in comics. Do you mind if I ask you a very stupid question? Give it your best shot. I bet it won't be the stupidest question I've ever been asked. So well, I, I was just wondering if when you worked on on the British line, did you have to anglicize the spelling for the yes, uh, the dialogue? We did. We had to make color into color, <laughs> glamour into glamour, lift into elevator. Nice. But the so, ridiculous, <laughs> the ridiculous thing was, was a who are we fooling, and b if you were, you know, I mean, if if you were interested in Marvel comics, then you had to know they were American. But and and actually, and 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 Marvel did print some of their color comics and just you know send them over to England. And I guess for the real hardcore fans, they weren't going to buy the black and white reprints. They were going to buy the the, the regular uh, color American ones. But that was not a stupid question at all. That was that was actually, you know, I'd say ten percent of my time was spent. Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe suddenly, not. You know, suddenly but, uh, Spider-Man seems so much more erudite. Like <laughs> there was a certain amount of time that was that was spent anglicizing words. <laughs> <laughs> Blimey! I just got my my jumper messed up by Doc Ock. Oh no! I don't know if we went that far. <laughs> so this this leads me to to Stan. Like when when you started, he wasn't around so much, was he? When I started, he hadn't moved to California yet. He was 
but he was traveling a lot. <clears throat> but he was he was a presence in the office, but I didn't really have the only time I'd deal with him really directly was say if Larry was on vacation. Because Stan actually until he moved to California, his he was still technically the publisher, you know, and he if he was there, he would approve all the covers and all the cover coloring. So say if Larry was on vacation or out sick or something, then I would be the one to bring the British covers to Stan for approval. I don't have any super strong memories of that. I, I, I you know, those early years, and, and then, you know, pretty soon he did move fully to the West Coast. So, I, you know, my memories of him kick in really, I mean, my memories of him as a kid kick, you know, obviously that that's as a fan and listening, reading the comics and the, you know, forming an impression of him and Marvel from the bullpen bulletins and the and the and the soapbox answers and the, and the soapboxes. But you know, before there was a standardized bullpen bulletins page, Stan used to write these long, elaborate letter columns with responses to the, all the. Le- I mean, he obviously picked letters that would set him up to give witty or or, or promotional answer. But that really bonded him with me, and I think, I think with a lot of you know, there were a lot of people at Marvel who were kind of my age within a year either way. You know, it was like Grunewald and Carl Potts, and you know, a lot of a lot of other other people were just you know were hit by that Marvel phenomenon. So you know, I, I remember going out when Shooter brought all the editors out one year for the San Diego Con, and then to, and then we went up to L.A. I remember visiting Stan then and going to Stan's house. You know, I think, and then the year after in '84 is when I edited this annual that Stan scripted. But that was surreal, being Stan Lee's editor. Oh wow! You know, and he was really he was one of you know he was a very he was a total pro. You know, I mean, I mean, hey, I don't know where I got the nerve to do it, but I. <laughs> I said to him, you know, Stan, this is not working, or this is working, or I think this would be better. And he would, if he agreed with me, he'd compliment me and say thanks. And if he didn't agree with me, he'd argue his case. But he said, well, but, you know, you're the boss, you're the editor, which was weird. <laughs> and and so I, I ended up editing him a number of times. And then I, end, I, I actually got to know him. I would never claim to be one of Stan's close inner circle. I was a colleague. I was a, a friendly acquaintance, which I think, Actually, it was better for my book than if I had been in his inner circle. But but actually, I've worked with him in a number of other companies. After I left Marvel, I worked at some other entertainment media companies and worked with him on quite a few projects. But, you know, I, I would say that I got to know him much more in my post-Marvel years than actually when I was there. Oh, that's 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 cool. And well, one one thing I noticed about your book is... It's not necessarily like a, a love letter, but it's very much like, and I I don't know, like I, I wasn't expecting it to be, but it wasn't at all written by somebody that that did not have a deep respect for him. I mean, you, I can tell that you respected him a, a whole lot and just the amount of work that you put into this book uh, really is kind of staggering, especially considering like, all the people you had to talk to to get to it and all of the, the stuff you had to go through to, to do the research. So that, that, that was one thing that really impressed me. Stan seems to me kind of like the, the Hugh Hefner of comics in that he took something that on the outset at the time, I'm sure people thought of as very lowbrow and gave it an air of class and legitimacy and kind of brought 
this thing to a new audience and got people excited about it. So is that a question? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm rambling. Sorry. Oh no, I can, I can, I want, let me, if you don't mind, let me address some of the things you said, because they're, they're interesting and, and important. What I tried to do with the book, because if you, I mean, you've read the book, so you know, there's stuff that's in there. That's not so complimentary to Stan. I mean, this, you know, he was a complicated guy. And I don't, and there were times he was not aware of how people reacted to him, or he, you know, just had his own self interest at heart, as most of us would in a given situation. So, what I tried to do, I mean, you're right, I had, uh, you know, how do you not have respect for a guy who, who was so instrumental in the culture and, and, and in my own, you know, life and, and, and career? But I tried to avoid it being a hagiography. Hey you know, most reviewers have said that it's not. You know, one I think there are people who Stan can do no right for who have used that term. I tried to lay out the things he did and said and what other people said about him and leave it to the reader to assess, you know, whether whether the things he that he did and said and and in what in various circumstances how they feel about it. You know, I didn't want to, you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, I think at the end, you know, by the end of the book, it's, it's, it is true that I admire him and his accomplishments, but I'm not blind to some of the serious flaws he had in, in how he dealt with his creative partners uh, and, how, and, and how he dealt with his own career. I mean, obviously, Stan, by most objective measurements, was very successful and famous. But I think there were a lot of ways in which maybe he was even disappointed in himself. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean you know, don't forget, because this is something, it's funny, people, even very sophisticated people I tell this to are kind of surprised. Stan did not own any more of Marvel Comics and its characters than you or I do. You know, he was always a highly paid employee, and sometimes in danger of losing his job. And any time a new corporate entity would buy Marvel, the first thing they would try to do is get rid of him. You know, maybe Disney didn't, but everybody up to Disney. So he, you know, I, th- I think there were, you know, and I think that's why and how he ended up surrounding himself with sort of unsavory people at various points, especially the end of his life. Yeah, but yeah, it's heartbreaking. I think, I think he felt that he wasn't tough enough or savvy enough, and he needed to surround himself with people who, somehow he thought were going to be tough on his behalf and, you know, would do the, you know, do the ruthless, nasty things that he felt he couldn't do. You know, I mean, uh, he was a very complicated person. And, 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 and so I tried, you know, to portray that in, in the book with, you know, and, and look, I, I, I ultimately, what he achieved, you know, in collaboration, you know, a lot of it in collaboration with great artists, especially Kirby and Ditko. But, you know, what he, the way he put Marvel on the map and comics on the map, you know, you know, he had that gift for that. And of course, the other factor in the equation is, is, is the original owner of Marvel, Martin Goodman, who was Stan's distant cousin by marriage, you know, which was both a blessing and a curse for Stan. You know, they had a, they had a complicated relationship. So that, that Stan could do this in a way that no other comic book editor of his generation was able to 
you know, was really, I think, a unique and, and, and impressive accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. He, he seemed to have gotten himself in, into a position where he was able to have access and, and use that access to, you know, work his way up as, as much as he did. And it's, it was a really fascinating book, just seeing how low he was on the totem pole as, you know, basically being told like, you know, being looked at by Goodman and saying, what the hell is this guy doing in my office? So, Uh, you know, know, look, I mean, the the thing you have to remember is that probably, you know, I'll, I'll say half is probably an exaggeration, but there, you know, a large percentage as, as would be true of, of, I think any, you know, immigrant, you know, owned entrepreneurial business, you know, Stan was far from the only relative of Martin Goodman's working at Goodman's comic book or magazine company. You know, they were, you know, I think, I think Goodman had like three or four brothers that were working there. You know, Larry worked there at various times. I, I just think it was just what, you know, it was a way that you could, you know, make sure your relatives were employed <laughs> and, you know, make sure about <laughs> Make sure you had employees you could trust. You know, your 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 relatives wouldn't be borrowing money from you since they'd be employed by you, and you know they they'd be as as you know as trustworthy, if, you know, more trustworthy probably than somebody who wasn't. But it was, you know, it was not unusual in in the in the in the industry. If you look at if you look at the history of you know DC or Harvey or Archie, they're all they're all these family sagas. You know, they could all be. They could all be like TV uh, maxi series. <laughs> I would love to see a Mad Men style series about Marvel and DC in the seventies, just because oh. I mean they they occupy like literally like the same city. Uh, a lot of characters going in between both companies, and no, it, I, I mean, I, I many people have you know have thought, I mean especially because Marvel always Goodman for some reason always wanted to have offices literally on Madison Avenue. So they were literally in the same building as the Mad Men type people. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Stan, you know, I think in another life, Stan might have liked to have been an ad guy. He, he always said he treated Marvel like it was an ad campaign, you know, and, and he did. That makes know? sense. Yeah, it totally all, did. All those slogans, face front, hang loose. Uh, make mine Marvel. Make mine Marvel, you know. And he did it tongue in cheek. It's I, I was just you know I was I was recording a, a, a panel you know for WonderCon, which is going to be at the end of March, but they wanted their panels uh, uh, done in advance. So I was doing a, a panel called Stanley Goes to College, and I had found two of the earliest people who had invited Stan to speak. It was the Tulenko brothers, Tom and Tim, and they were part of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. Oh wow. Uh, branch that invited Stan to Princeton University. And that was, that was his second. He had talked at Bard College in upstate New York in 64, but the people who invited him there were dead, so I couldn't get them to be on the panel. That might but, be hard to get them on the yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> that would be tough. You know, I, I guess I could get people to imitate them or something. But, but anyway, the Tulenkos, you know, they, there's a famous picture that, of, of them in Stan's office, you know, like four, four or five Princeton students and Stan before pre toupee Stan, you know they're all like drinking you know sodas out of uh, paper cups, and you know I said you know when you guys as you know whatever nine eighteen nineteen twenty year old Princeton students 
went to talk to Stan about the characters, was it really on a kind of a straight, serious level, or was it tongue-in-cheek? And they said, oh, it was very much tongue-in-cheek. I mean, you know, I think there was a side of them that was curious about the stories and the characters, but they, I think there was this kind of realization of, you know, well, you know, that Stan has given over an undertone to this stuff that make it interesting to Princeton college students, but in a way that he, he was able to make comics that young kids could take super seriously, but that like college students could could kind of look at as a tongue-in-cheek kind of inside joke that they were in on. And it was kind of a brilliant thing that that marketing thing that Stan came up with to do that, you know, and it was really, I don't think anybody else, I think it's the first, you know, panel that the Tulenko brothers have ever done, and I'm grateful to them. And, if, you know, I think WonderCon, if, you know, last year it was free, so when that, when that, you know, comes online, check it out. There's other, you know, there's Michael Uslan and my name's Scott Saturni also on, on the panel. And Uslan, of course, is the oh, cool. producer of all the Batman movies. So, oh wow, might be a might be you know who 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 Stan helped when Michael was was teaching one of the I think the first accredited comics course in a college in in the early seventies. Do you know what the name of that panel was? It's called Stanley. Oh, what the Michael did or my panel? The your panel. It's called Stanley Goes to College. Awesome. Awesome. Sorry. Sorry. I'm putting that in the notes. And that's for WonderCon. Yeah, which officially is, excuse me, March. I think the last weekend in March, I think it's the 26th and 27th. Awesome. <laughs> excuse me. So when did you know that you wanted to do this book on Stan? Huh. That's, that's a, a good, but a little bit complicated question. <laughs> it, was it always like kind of percolating in the back of your mind? Like somebody needs to write a book about this guy or was it yeah, just somebody like... needs to write a book. And I, you know, I've written a few books before. I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Yeah. Superman. Yeah. Superman on the couch. Right. And, and so that, that was, so I've been writing books for a while and I wanted to do something that I was passionate about and that would actually, you know, make some money. And Stan just seemed like a natural topic. You know, I mean, because through Stan, you know, A, who's a cat? What figure in comics is going to be known to people outside comics? And the only one is Stan Lee. There's, I mean, as great as Kirby, Ditko, Romita, Miller, as, you know, well, maybe, maybe Miller is known to a general audience a little more, you know, and maybe Robert Crumb is. But generally, the only comic creator most people would have heard of is Stan Lee, you know, especially since the cameos started happening. And through, because Stan started in the comic book business in 1940, he was basically there from the beginning. You know, I mean, Superman, I mean, there were, there were of course, there were comics, you know, newspapers and collections. But, you know, the superhero comic was started by Super, with Superman in 38, and so Stan comes into the business two years later. So through Stan, you tell the story of, of the entire American comic book industry from 1940 till now. So I thought that was a good, you know, structure to hang it on. It was somebody that's, you know, well-known enough that a publisher would pay a decent advance for it. You know, and then it started an odyssey because I, a guy I knew who was, you know, in the public, you know, a veteran of the publishing business said, 
told me it's better to have an authorized biography. I said, well, why, why, you know, why would that be? <clears throat> I mean, if it's authorized, that means that the subject is going to have approval or disapproval, and 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 it'll make you it'll make the story less authentic. And and he said, well, that's just the way it is. You know, just there seems to be a correlation in sales. So I tried for a long time to get Stan to make it to be authorized and wrote up an elaborate proposal and sent it to him. I had a meeting with him when he was in New York uh, for a convention for the New York Comic Con. And he considered it longer than I thought he would. And he said to me, Danny, if I wanted anybody to do it, it would be you, but I don't want to do it. Now, <laughs> now was I the 10th person he said that to that week? I don't know, but that's what, that, 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 that's what he said. And I said to him, well, look, I, I understand that, but, you know, I'm going to sort of, you know, since you're, you know, generous enough or foolish enough to return my emails, because Stan was like the best email correspondent of all time. You know, you know, I think every six months or a year, I'm going to kind of gently nag you about it. And, and, and I did. And, he, and ultimately, he said, he said, you know, I don't want to do an authorized one, but there's nothing to stop you from doing an unauthorized one. So if you want to do that, I won't, you know, go ahead. Well, so then, you know, I, my agent was pitching it around. And Stan is a tricky character to, to because, because everybody knows, right, in the, in the biography racket, right, there are, there's a million biographies, right, because there's a lot of interesting people. But a lot of those biographies don't sell very many because even interesting people may only have a limited number of people who would, you know, cough up money to read about them. So Stan is in this interesting kind of middle ground. He's not Steven Spielberg. He's not Steve Jobs, you know, but he, but he is famous in his... So, you know, we finally found a home for it and an advance that, that, that was good. And I called Stan and I said, you know, just remember that book I've been nagging you about for a few years? Well, you know, I just signed a deal for it. And he said to me, he said, congratulations, good luck with it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell people to talk to you or not talk to you, but I'm not going to sit for any interviews. I'm sick of being interviewed. Turns out we did two lengthy interviews for the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to say that the last ones were them because they were about a year before he died, but I think they were among the last. And, and by that point, I'd interviewed Stan a lot of times for a lot of different things from my other books, for Right Now Magazine, which was a magazine I put out for Tomorrow's, for that Stanley Universe book that Roy Thomas and I did in, in, in 2011. I didn't so much interview him for that. There was a lot of interviews in the book, but he, I did get him to write a Stanley's Top 10 for Tips for Writers. But I finally, I think, at that point, when I was doing the interviews and research for the book, I figured out how uh, to get past Stan's programmed automatic answers about things and get him to dig a little deeper into, into topics. You know, I mean, I figured there was no point in, you know, in, in being like, you know, in cross-examining. There was no point in going, and what about Jack Kirby? You know, I mean, that, 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 where would that have been? Jack was great. But I think things about his childhood, about, you know, just his, his work life, uh, his family life, his friends, his, his approach to the work and, and his philosophy, you know, I think I got him to dig deeper than he might ordinarily have. So um, It seemed like there was a lot of hurt there, especially in regards to his, his early life. I th- you know, he's kind of, yeah, yeah, he had this 
you know, yes, he was an only child for the first nine years, so he had sort of that, you know, focused attention that his, especially his mother gave him, that I think, you know, I think he had sort of this confidence built in him by his mother, who used to, who, you know, at one point sort of indirectly compared him to Franklin Roosevelt, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> and, but, you know, so I think combined with sort of this very problematic, chronically unemployed or underemployed and, yeah, I I related to that so much. Yeah, an angry father. So I think Stan kind of, in his way, escaped into this fantasy world. You know, um, again, I related to that so much. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, and I think a lot of people who gravitate to comics probably can. You know, there's so so yeah. There was a lot of yeah, a lot of hurt. I think he, I think he enjoyed a lot of aspects, especially uh, he was always proud of having gone to this high school, DeWitt Clinton High School in, in the Bronx, which had a lot of famous graduates. You know, I think in Stan's class, he said he didn't know him, but in the same graduating class with Stan was the screenwriter and playwright Patty Chayefsky, who wrote, who wrote, I guess he's most famous for Network. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that little tiny movie that but, nobody's ever right. seen or heard of, Network. That <laughs> but a, lot, a lot of other, and, you know, James Baldwin went to that high school, oh, wow. and Dan Shore. So it's, it was a pretty, you know, it was all these kids. Um, a ton of talent. Uh, talented, but, you know, and I think just from sort of the classic kind of New York uh, Godfather immigrant mix of Italian and Irish and Jewish kids, you know, and it was, a, and it was all boys, so there are no girls to distract them, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, Stan. I think I think Stan enjoyed high school and kind of uh, he was active in a bunch of clubs and you know I, I get the impression you know, he got him out of the house and I think and I think in his way he even enjoyed the army because he ended up you know working in the states doing you know morale building or propaganda or, or information whatever you want to call it you know stuff you know so he could still actually keep doing scripting for uh, timely which is what marvel was called then that's you know, one thing that surprised me i was totally surprised when when i found out that he was still doing his stuff for timely as he was in south carolina <laughs> right he was in south carolina duke right and then and in indiana yeah well i mean he was very prolific and 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 he was a very fast writer you know i mean he 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 liked i think he liked having written more than writing you know, but he, especially in comics, because the it paid so poorly. If you yeah. weren't, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't make a living because he wasn't getting, you know, while I was in the army, he was not getting his staff editor salary anymore. You know, so w- when you were there, just out of curiosity, you know, he kind of came up with the Marvel method for for writing. And when you wrote for for Marvel, did you ever employ that, or did you go did you go to script? I, well, look, the Marvel method that I used and that most people at Marvel, you know, up until about 20 years ago used was different than the Marvel method that Stan used. You know, I mean, I, and the thing about the Marvel method, it's not any one method. You know, what, you know, and this, of course, is where so much of the controversy surrounding Stan stems from. Stan would have a story conference that could range from two minutes on the phone to a short paragraph to nothing at all, say if Jack Kirby would pretty much plot a story, 
and it varied from issue to issue, from from relationship, you know, from artist to artist. You know, say with Gene Colan, I think Gene generally liked and demanded that Stan sit and really do a fairly detailed plot conference. Kirby was more independent, and he and Stan both. So, I mean, so the Marvel method that Stan used was all over the map and, and changed monthly, you know, or, or even daily, depending on who the artist was. Okay. The Marvel method that I use and that most people refer to means instead of writing like a screenplay-type script with, you know, page one, panel one, art description, dialogue, you know, and then you do that for every single panel, it would be more, it would be a story synopsis that could vary depending, again, on the team and what the editor demanded. It could range anywhere from one page to 25 pages, you know, depending on how much control the art, the writer liked to have, how much freedom the artist liked to have. You know, but the basic idea was the artist would generally pace the story and and decide what exactly would be on each page and in each panel, and then it would come back to the writer to write the the dialogue and the captions. So, I, so I think there is some confusion, you know, out in the world that, that what what the Marvel method is. So it's, you know, the the quickest way to say it is it's plot first, and because certainly Stan, you know, and then and then the thing that made Stan different as well. And that ruffled some feathers, you know, although some people loved working like that. Stan had multiple roles. He was the editor, so that meant he was their boss, the, the artist boss, or the and his, you know, artist co plotter boss. He was the writer, he was the art director, and he was the relative of the owner. So that, <laughs> in, effect, in effect, for better or worse, made him what I call an auteur. You know, I think if you sort of think of a movie director as an auteur from, you know, the French auteur theory, well, look, Stan, you know, if Jack Kirby or Ditko or Gene Colan, if they brought in Paige Stan Bin Light, then he would, very, you know, I, I don't know, not often, but sometimes would say to them, I think the story, now that I see the story in front of me, I think it should go in a different direction. So you have to redraw this page. And very often that would be done without pay because Marvel was not, you know, was was not known for its high rates, not not in those early days. So obviously, if you if you're the artist and you're drawing it, you're not going to be happy about that. And then even if Stan didn't have redraws done, he would very often take the plot in a different direction than the artist had had in mind. And and so that you know. What that led to was very often great comics that as a reader and as a fan and as a consumer just, you know, addicted me and, and made me loyal and want to come back and read every comic Marvel put out. But if you were Stan's creative collaborator, maybe you weren't always so happy with that way of working. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard stories about he and Ditko on, on their Spider-Man books kind of having differences of opinion about dialogue and stuff like that. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, and, it, and, and ultimately, you know, ultimately, you know, Ditko left. And then a few years later, Kirby left. And I think Wally Wood had problems, but there were guys like John Buscema, John Romita, Stan Goldberg, Gene Colan. I mean, they, you know, they, 
they thrived and they understood what the deal was. Okay, if you're working with Stan Lee, this is the way the partnership works, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I mean, it's funny. I know it seems like damning with faint praise, but compared to a lot of the other editors in the comics industry, Stan was much, treated people much better than a lot of those other, you know, a lot of the other editors in the business were kind of dictatorial and abusive and sadistic. And, and you know, Stan could have his moments where he wasn't like, you know, Mr. Charming, but generally he, you know, people, people who loved working with him really loved working with him, you know? And I, you know, I would say that geniuses like Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby, I don't think they would have been happy. And history has proven that they weren't especially happy working with anybody else. You know, Ditko did a lot of his work for Carlton Comics, which was famous for paying the worst rates in the business, but they left him alone. Do whatever you want, Steve. And that to him, you know, and it's a valid choice. That was more important yeah. than, than if he got $10 a page more at Marvel or, or DC, you know? So, you know, I think those are unique personalities and unique talents that, that you know, the, the room wasn't big enough for their egos and stands, you know? Uh, whereas, whereas, like I say, other people obviously thrived in that, in that work environment. Do you know, just a- after putting so many hours of of your time into this book and, and making it what it is, is there a corollary, or not a corollary, but like, I don't know how to put it, is, is there anyone in the industry now that that has that, even just an inkling of that uh, kind of grip and presence? The only person I think comes close <clears throat> is maybe Todd McFarlane. You know, Todd ultimately wasn't happy as just a cog in the Marvel machine. He, not only did he, right, over the years, you know, especially once royalties kicked in in the 80s, a lot of comic writers and artists became, you know, pretty wealthy. And what they spent their money on was, you know, houses, cars, airplanes. I mean, they... You know, they, they they didn't plow it. They didn't invest it in themselves, and they didn't invest in their future, which, you know, God bless them. You know, you know it's not, I don't say that as a criticism, but that just doesn't seem to be what they did. You know, maybe they bought real estate, so I guess that's an investment in your future. But Todd, you know, I think was among the first, if not the first, to say, okay, I'm popular now. I'm making a lot of money now, but maybe in 10 years I won't be. 20 years, I won't be. What do I do? So Todd you know, organized his buddies and they started Image Comics and, and, and which, you know, everybody knows what a success that was and, and, and still is. And I, and I think Todd has that kind of vision and he likes, and he's an extrovert. So he likes being interviewed on TV and, 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 and doing publicity and, you know, buying the Barry Bonds baseballs for a million dollars. Yeah. And getting like three times that much worth of publicity out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, I think Todd might be the, the heir to being sort of the face and voice of comics if he chooses to take that role on. And I I don't, I don't know if he's, you'd have to ask him. I don't know if he's, you know, if he's necessarily that interested in, but he's, he's the only one that, that strikes me as, as possibly taking over that role. What do you think? Is there anybody who comes to mind for you? You know, I, I think Todd might 
might just be the the closest we have right now because it's so I don't know of that many personalities that are that <laughs> much of a a cheerleader for the medium and with that much with that much people knowing about them because people just by what you said earlier, you know, Todd bought the the baseballs and stuff like that, the Madonna bras and all that. I didn't I didn't know about the Madonna. Oh yeah, he he has the the, the cone <laughs> bra. It, it, <laughs> there you go. I didn't know. But you know that put him in the, into the spotlight when you know the comics wouldn't. You know, and, because, and he's got the and he's got the toy company. You know, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very. I mean, in a way, he's much smart. I mean, you know, again, Stan. You know, for all his fame and whatever wealth he had, never owned those characters. No, yeah. You know? I mean, Todd and the other image guys realized, you know, you know, that even you know, I mean, you know, of course there's, you know, kind of the 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 classic, you know, unfortunate cases of, of Siegel and Schuster and Bill Finger. So those are obviously lessons in you know, to try to avoid ending, you know, being treated uh, like that. But but even Stan, who was so famous and so successful in so many ways, even he, you know, let himself be uh, victimized. And, 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 you know, I know it sounds weird to say that about Stan, but in certain ways he, he, he was a victim of that system as much as anybody. Do you think that he, he ever got tired of having to put on a face for the public when he was out? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. It, you think it energized him? Totally. I mean, I, I mean, my classic story, I, I, I talk about it in the book, but, you know, we, when, I, when I was working uh, for Wizard, you know, the, the Wizard World the convention chain, Stan was a regular guest and I was his regular moderator. And there was one convention, I think in Sacramento in 2013, when Stan was supposed to be there on Saturday, but he had a bad reaction to a flu shot, which doesn't mean you shouldn't get flu shots or COVID shots, people get them. But anyway, he had a bad reaction to a flu shot, and he was not feeling well. And so they actually brought him in the next day. They brought him in on Sunday. And, you know, I could see he was tired. He was, you know, backstage. He was, like, hanging onto the banister up, you know, the stairs up to the stage. He looked like he was going to collapse. And the uh, president of Wizard gets up, and he, and he, and he says, uh, look, folks, you know, stand and I had that reaction to the flu shot. He wasn't, you know, he was sick yesterday. He's not feeling so great today, but he didn't want to disappoint you guys. So we sent a plane for him and, and we brought him up to Sacramento. But he and Danny are only going to do 20 minutes, not the usual 45 or 50. So I hope you understand. And without further ado, uh, Danny Fingeroth and Stan Lee. So, uh, you know, we come up and, and I can see Stan, you know, he staggers up the stairs. He can barely get up the stairs. And we get on stage, and he see, I can see he's getting more and more energized. And, uh, you know, the wizard people and stance people are flashing me sign. You know, 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, and, you know, finally, you know, zero minutes. And they, you know, give me the sign, you know, wrap this up. And I say to Stan, so Stan, you know, as John explained to everybody, you know, you, you're not feeling so well, but you didn't want to disappoint anybody, but we're only doing 20 minutes. So is there anything you want to say to people before we wrap up? And Stan says to me, is God talking to you? Did he say we have to stop? I feel great. Let's keep going. Well, of course, 
everybody is running around backstage and front stage flashing me signs that I have no idea what they mean. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we did another about 10 minutes and finally, you know, he did agree to, to, to leave the stage. And I mean, and, and I've seen that, you know, you see, I've seen that with elderly or ill people. You mentioned Harvey Picar. I did that panel with Harvey Picar about a year before he died. I thought he was going to collapse. You know, somebody took a, like a close-up uh, photo of him with a with a flash bulb, not a fl- whatever flash unit, and I thought he was gonna just like faint, you know, because he was having some health issues even in that. And we get on stage, and Harvey, you know, the minute we're on stage, suddenly he's like Mister Energy. So Stan, I've seen this happen with Stan many times, not just with me, you know. So when you know people would say to me in those last you know in those last months or the last year of his life is is there elder abuse going on should Stan be dragged around to all these conventions and I said look I'm not part of his inner circle I don't know it certainly seems possible but you know all all I can say is if you were Stan Lee would you rather die at home alone in bed or in front of a crowd of ten thousand people loving you you know I mean yeah so uh, you know, so, so I mean. So, look, uh, you may be right. I mean, you, your point is well taken. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, probably, certainly for that last year, he shouldn't have been dragged around. But I got to tell you, when the guy was on stage, I think it was his, the, the high points of, of his life, as being, being, you know, the, being the object of that much love. And even in, the, in those last panels, I, don't, I, don't, I never saw him... Or heard of him embarrassed, you know, I mean, you hear about those, that famous, you know, video of him, you know, like not knowing how to sign his own name. And that's very tragic, obviously. But on those panels, I, I never saw in person or on a YouTube video where he was anything but witty and appropriate and his memory was pretty sharp. And, and you know, he really, yeah, I think, I think that's part of what enabled him to go on as long as he did. Danny, that makes me feel so much better hearing that. Just knowing that, you know, he was kind of where he wanted to be and doing what he wanted to do. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it was a mixed bag. I think those that hour he was on stage, I think he was very happy. Whether he, you know, whether everything leading up to it and leading after it, you know, it's if you if you have elderly relatives, you know, you know, then you know, you know that you know the conflicts that can bring, you know, oh, yeah. what what's What's right for them? What's good for them? What are they? What are they going to enjoy? Where is it? You know, where is it just a matter of somebody? You know, having self-interest. It's very, it was very, very complicated. And and you know, and 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 certainly, if you read the stories, you know, you know, when he was not at conventions, there did seem to be a fair amount of elder. But I, I'd, I'd say the only place I could almost definitely say where there wasn't, where he was happy, was that forty-five minutes or an hour when when he would be on a stage. That's that's awesome. I I want to tell you again. I, I really really enjoyed the book, A Marvelous Life. Y'all need to go out and get it. It it was really well done, and I appreciate all the work you went in that, that went into doing it. And it it really was just a, a solid book all around. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It, it has been my chill out before bed book for for the past <laughs> month, and I have two kids, so the time that I have in between putting them to bed and then going to bed myself is, is few and far between. So it it is, it has been perfect for, you know, just enjoying that little bit of time where I don't hear a little voice asking me for (laughs) cookies or whatever. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I, I know we're about to wrap up. I did want to just get in a word about Will Week, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's let let's tell me about that. Well, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners know Will Eisner was a was a contemporary of Stan's. By the way, there's a great video online called it was from a series of shows that Stan was the host of in the in like '92 called the Comic Book Greats, and one of them is with Will Eisner, and it's really a terrific dialogue between these old friends. Eisner was one of the inventors of the comics medium, especially with something called the Spirit, which was. A, news, in news, a, a comic newspaper insert in the 40s and 50s. He's considered, he's the artist, artist, the cartoonist, cartoonist, the comic writer's comic, right? You know, everybody emulated Eisner. A lot of things we think of as standard comic vocabulary and action adventure. And it was the spirit. And then he kind of went into more of educational comics and did a lot of uh, something called PS Magazine for the uh, military, and then in the late 70s, kind of reinvented himself in the medium with not the first graphic novel. I think there's other claimants to that, but, you know, a very, certainly the, one of them, a thing that put the graphic novel on the map and is really where this entire current literary graphic novel movement stems from, where you get things like Mouse and Fun Home and, and you know, I'm, I'm blanking, of course, but, you know, a thousand different creative expressions. So Eisner started that all with a contract with God, which was, you know, a kind of lightly disguised autobiographical and then did another 25 graphic novels for, you know, between 78 and when he passed away in 2005. The Eisner Awards that are given at the San Diego Con are named after him. So I work with the Will Eisner Studios and the Will and Ann Eisner Family Foundation to do this thing called Will Eisner Week. Will, Will's birthday was March 6th, so it's usually the first weekend, like Mar- uh, the first week in March, March 1st through 7th, and we encourage people at, at schools, uh, universities, colleges, libraries, bookstores, comic book shops, uh, museums, you know, wherever, just to do, it would be nice if they do something that's about Will and his work, but also anything about the graphic novel. Will was a great evangelist for the graphic novel as, as, as a medium for literature, uh, as well as entertainment, so, and a big advocate for free speech. And so any, any, an event that, so we've grown it from like one event in New York to over 100 events worldwide. However, this year, because of the COVID, people aren't doing so many live events. So for the first time, we have provided pre-recorded programming about or inspired by Will Eisner that's at willeisner.com, W-I-L-L-E-I-S-N-E-R.com. And uh, there's a link there. If you, go to the, if you go to the homepage on the left side, there's the Will Eisner Week 2021 playbook, as well as the addendum. The addendum gives you a lot of information. But essentially, you can also go, it will also link you to YouTube. If you go to Will Eisner Week 20, uh, 2021, or maybe even better, Will Eisner Week, then with a colon, 2021, there are uh, seven videos that are, you know, th- there's interviews with about Will with Todd McFarlane, with Jerry Kraft, uh, you know, famous for New Kid, with Gene Luen Yang. Superman versus the Klan. And, oh, yes. Uh, he, he's an amazing American guy. Chinese. So we have three different interviews with them. We have comic creators talk about their favorite Eisner stories with me and Dennis Kitchen, Paul Levitz, Susan Kirtley, who teaches comics in Oregon, uh, one or two other people. We have a great lesson in how to draw 
the sp- how to draw the spirit Batman and Wonder Woman, and actually how to draw Harvey Picard too. Oh by, wow! <laughs> by, Dan, by Dan Shikade, who uh, people may know from Lavender Jack, which is a online thing he does, but also he did the Spirit Maxi series for Dynamite a few years ago. So we have so we so the, and also there's a way to rent the Cook Brothers Eisner documentary that's called the Portrait of a Sequential Artist. So we really tried that. So if people, I mean, obviously you can watch this stuff and you can even download it if you know how in your own home, but it's also, if you're, if you're a venue or an institution and maybe you ordinarily do Will Eisner week, but you can't, well, now you can brand this stuff through, you know, either in person, if you're in a place that can do that or through your own internet portal, you know, we really wanted to make people be able to, you know, give them the ways to celebrate Will Eisner Week and all sorts of different options in this very difficult year. That's awesome. And yeah, I actually looked up the, the hashtag Will Eisner Week and there's a ton of people posting about it already. There's a ton of libraries that are helping to celebrate this with links to... The, the, the Facebook Will Eisner Week page has a, has a li- it lists all of the you, know, you scroll. You have to do a lot of scrolling, but it lists a lot of the events that are happening. I'm. I'm sorry. Oh no, 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 no. That, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you guys go out and look out for uh, Will Eisner Week. Additionally, pick up a marvelous life by Danny Fingeroth. It's it's such a good book. And and now I, I really want to read some of your other titles that you've done. The the rough guide to graphic novels, disguised as Clark Kent, Superman on the couch. I've I've really heard a lot of good things about those books, and I think they're next on my before collapsing into a deep dark sleep. <laughs> At the end yeah. of the day, because I wake up at four and don't go to bed till twelve. So <laughs> well, I, I've been—I don't know if I've been that extreme, but I've—you uh, know—I've kids, so I know. And, uh, <laughs> and the tradition of Stan, just to plug one more thing, of course, if anybody is curious about the uh, comics editing workshop on comicsplex.com, please check that out. And that's C O M I X P L E X dot com. So and scroll down a little bit, and you will see. Danny Fingeroff's beautiful face, along with a link to the program. So, Danny, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. you. And I feel like I could have talked about so much more. And I'd be happy to come back sometime if you'd like. I I would love it. So we, because you, you've been around in comics to see so much over in, in just this little bit that we talked about tonight, specifically A Marvelous Life, The Amazing Story of Stanley by Danny Fingeroff. That, that, that's just a, a tiny footnote of all the rest of the stuff you've done in comics. So, Danny, thank you so much for talking to us. One more, one more plug. One more quick, sorry. Dark Hawk. Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> Dark Hawk story in 25 years. Me and Mike Manley doing Dark Hawk. It'll be out for Marvel in April. So uh, you're shitting me. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, and that's that's something you created. Well, Mike and uh, Tom DeFalco created, but I wrote it from the very first issue. So that's I was, awesome. A lot of what you think of as Dark Horse comes from me, but I got to give credit to Tom for coming up with a bit with initial basic premise for the for the character. And, and there's so much cool because I went on a deep dive not long ago reading about that character, and he he took some crazy crazy turns, and it's. I'm going to be looking out for that. What's the name of the book again? I think it's, this is one that's called Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk. Dark Hawk, Heart, Heart of the Hawk. Heart of the Hawk. Awesome. Sometime, sometime in April. I just actually finished, right, we did it Marvel style, Marvel method, 
and I just uh, finished writing the script today. Danny, I can't wait to read that book, Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk. Yeah. And you guys keep your eyes peeled for it. Dark Hawk is a one of the 90s characters from from Marvel that actually had staying power because there's so many random characters that came up during that time and they were very tied to that time. But Darkhawk is such a cool concept of a character and I'm glad that that he's getting people are going to get another look at him. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, so we better before I think of something else to plug, we better quit. <laughs> Danny, enjoy your evening. Thank you so much, Mr. Fingeroth. Thank you, Casey. It's been a pleasure. All right. Goodbye. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the the thing now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks a lot, Casey. Have Thank a good you. evening. Thank you again. You too. My pleasure. Be well. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you and if you like what you heard and you want to hear more you got to go check out spoilerverse.com because at spoilerverse.com we have a plethora plethora is such a it's such a snobbish word i like it though <laughs> it's, it's a good word <laughs> we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers and oh my god are you a lover of comic books like we are and then there's so many so many amazing people from the comic book world over at spoilerverse.com and i highly implore you to go there and check it out yeah and while you're there you can check out all the other podcasts on our network like bridging the geekdoms and funny book forensics and haphazard adventures and nurse in the crypt and so many more misery point radio episodes all the time misery point radio about a ton of great stuff out there go check all of them out and Check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Spoilerverse.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. You want to help support the site? You can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, Or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And even more.